chapter one, verse one, Paul writes, Paul, an apostle, not from man, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and never. Amen. Now, because we want to have like a little introduction, if I may give you an introduction in the background of Paul's epistle to the believers of Galatians, we can only get to five verses, but I promise you, um, it, you're going to find the introduction very helpful. And I think it's very important that when we begin a study for any book, that's usually how uh, we like to teach it here. We like to give you the background, how it came about, who's the author, what time, what's going on in the church, what was the reason for, the, for this letter. Every Every letter in or every book in, in the, the, the scriptures has a theme, has a message. And though we have it in our laps, divided in chapters and verse breaks, it's in a continuous letter. And so uh, Paul here is writing. The author we begin with is none other than Paul. Paul is the writer of the epistle of the uh, epistle to the Galatians. We look at the op- opening verses in chapter 1. The author identifies himself as Paul. In chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle. Also, if we look over to chapter 5, verse 2, uh, he also identifies himself again for the second time. He said, Need, indeed, I, Paul, say to you. And so this is Paul writing this letter. So outside of Scripture, there is also proof that Paul is the author of this epistle. If we go to the second and third century, we have what we know as the early church fathers like Clement, Irenaeus, and Tertullian. They quote Paul, and they quote Paul in this letter. So they attribute this epistle to Paul because they not only quoted from this epistle, but they also gave the credit and mentioned Paul. And so we also have the church fathers that proves that um, Paul is the author of this book. So there is no question. There are some books that are questioning as to who wrote the books. But this here um, was written by Paul. But with, you know, we know it goes without saying. Those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we know that all the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, every word has been inspired by the Holy Spirit. So uh, we, we look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, All scripture, not just some, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So this is all scripture has been inspired by God. And you have the world to say, well, you know, man wrote the book. Yeah, but when you see what they wrote and how they wrote and how it twines and goes together with the other books and authors they never met, they don't know. You can't say this has been written by man. It's impossible. It's impossible. The prophecies that are being fulfilled is impossible to say it's been written by man. So yeah, it was man physically took a pen and pyrus and, and wrote these epistles, but when you look at what they wrote, it has to be inspired by God. It's impossible that it's been put together by man. And so now, Paul is the writer. Who are the recipients? The recipients of this epistle is mentioned to us, mentioned for us in verse 2. Look at verse 2, chapter 1. Uh, it is addressed to the churches of Galatia. The churches of Galatia. So it's not a particular church, but it's a group of churches. And that's important for us. We'll find out as we study this group, the, the rest of this book, how that comes together, the importance of that. So it's plural. Churches is not one church. It's a church. There are churches located in the area of Galatia. Now, this is the only epistle written by Paul that's addressed to a group of churches. Um, uh, he may address it to a group of people, but to a group of churches, the only epistle. Uh, when you look at the epistles such as Ephesians, as written to the church of Ephesus, to the, uh, the Corinthians, to the church of Corinth, Philippi, the church of you know, Philippians, and so on with Colossians as well. So the churches of Galatians with really these churches that Paul himself planted. Paul started these churches. So these churches are so dear to his heart. 
And we're going to see how you can see pretty much in just reading in the language the first uh, few verses of chapter 1, how serious is this letter to him and why he's writing in such this fashion compared to all the rest. It's is a, is an issue he needs to address with the churches in Galatia, and it's so dear to him that he's going right to the point. He is speaking to a, a, probably approximately about four to five churches. Four to five churches that pretty much kind of pretty birthed out out of Paul's ministry. And so now, that is, the, we know the author now is Paul. The uh, recipients are churches, so who knows how many people altogether uh, in Galatia. But the date, now before we get to the date, I think it's important because, you know, people might confuse as to where in Galatia Paul was writing to. I mean, was it in the north? Was it in the south? Um, we'll get to that later on because I think it's important. Uh, some you know, good biblical facts that I'm going to give you just in just a bit. But let's look at the area of Galatia. Galatia is a region, uh, is a region known to us today as modern-day Turkey. So if you look at modern-day Turkey in your map, uh, this is ancient Turkey, which is now uh, Galatia. Now, Turkey pretty, pretty much expands wider than the area of Galatia. When you read the book of Revelation... The Church of Asia Minor, right? That's also part of Turkey. So Turkey, it's pretty much a bigger uh, uh, area, covers a bigger area in, uh, as far as a country, where this area is just such a, just a little part. It's called Galatia. Now, it might be difficult as to find out where uh, Paul is addressing this letter because when you, when you read it in the New Testament, it could be referred to a territory or providence, it could be either one. So it's hard to say, you know, if you were just to look at it by face balance, just reading it, you say, okay, well, Galatia, you're thinking all of Galatia. But no, we're going to narrow it down so we can know exactly who, you know, where this letter is going to. And so uh, without looking at the totality of the scripture, someone say, well, it's in the north. Well, was it in the south? Now, to some people, that doesn't mean anything. You want to get to the meat and potatoes of the scripture, so do I. But I think this is important. Um, when we look at Peter's letter and 2 Timothy's letter, we find that uh, they, they mentioned some of the cities or they were going to the northern part of Galatia. And as we studied uh, the actual places where Paul went, remember we studied the book of Acts prior to the book of Romans, we saw how Paul went to certain areas, and these cities are mentioned in the book of Acts where Paul actually went. So Paul, pretty much his ministry, where he actually physically went, he, he birthed out, you know, churches, he was a church planter, um, but I'm pretty sure the fruit of his ministry, which is, I think, very powerful, uh, spread throughout that. It went a little bit further than he, he actually physically went. Now, let's look at the reason why this may go more to the southern part of Galatia. Example, when we see in Acts chapter, chapters 13 to 14, chapters 13 to 14, we see during Paul's first missionary journey, we see the cities mentioned, Iconium, Lystra, uh, Derbe, and Antioch. These are cities that are in the southern part of Galatia, and this is why it's going to fit well with the southern part of Galatia. Secondly, uh, Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 7, uh, during Paul's second missionary journey, remember when Paul wanted to go to Bithynia and Persia and Twice it tells it tells us in Acts chapter sixteen verses six and seven the Holy Spirit forbid them, so they never really made it to uh, Bithynia or or, or uh, Persia. So this is a second reason why it is the letter has been written to the churches in the south, not the north. And thirdly, which is very important, where the Bible is silent, we stay silent. But the Scripture doesn't give us any record at all that Paul was in the northern part; he was in the southern part. And the reason why I say that's important when we get to the date, and I'm going to get to the date now, is because if it was in the northern part, the date of this letter was written much further. Well, right now, because we know that it fits well with the southern part, this letter to the, epist to the, to the believers in Galatia, to the church in Galatia, was written in anywhere from 48 to 50 AD. Now, that's important because you know what that tells us? It tells us that this is the first letter that Paul the Apostle written. So when you look at two-thirds of the New Testament, it's on your lap right now, written mostly by Paul. You want to know what's one of the first letters he wrote? His epistle to the believers in Galatia, the church in Galatia. Now, this is the first of Paul, but it's not the first in the New Testament, because the first New Testament book, does anybody know? James. James is the first, written in 45 A.D., 
45 AD. But now we put that together. James is the first book in the New Testament. Galatians is the first book, almost could have been the second book, second to James, um, but it's the first of Paul's epistle. But this is what I find amazing when you look at when the book of Acts was written. The book of Acts was written around 60 to 69 AD by Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And so it's interesting to find that Luke is writing about Paul while Paul is writing to the church of Galatia. And I find that really, you know, incredible how things just kind of line up. And the timing is, is important because it tells us that the early church, the very early church, are dealing with a problem. And that's the theme of this letter. This is why this letter is so important. This is why the writing style, it, it's a Paul, but it's different from all of Paul's letters. Because there's a serious issue that enter into the church by these group of people called the Judaizers. Judaizers. So we're going to get to that. Now the theme. Remember, I gave you guys homework, right? Read the first six chapters, right? And if some of you have read the six chapters, you don't have to hold up any hands. I'm no one's in trouble here. But um, the first six chapters, the, the, the six, the first, you know, the only six chapters. The six, the, if you read all six chapters, you get two things coming out of that pretty much. There's one, justification by faith. The second one is our liberty in Christ. And who remember those terms in our study of the book of Romans? Now, that's important, too, because this is why a lot of scholars, a lot of people believe, they call the letter, the epistle of Galatians, they call it the little book of Romans for those very reasons. However, we're going to see those themes in here, but we're going to see how Paul approaches this theme in, 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 in a problem that's taking place very early in the church, 45 AD, I'm sorry, 48 to 50 AD. The church is still a baby at this time. And um, so we're going to see, I, I think the best verse out of the whole epistle is in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, I think gives us the theme, the central theme. Paul writes, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. What's the yoke of bondage Paul is referring to? We're going to get a little bit more into that, but he's referring to legalism. He's referring to religion, rules, and rituals. And this is what the Judaizers are bringing in to the people who have been set free. So he says, stand fast in the liberty that you have in Christ. Don't get caught up in what day to worship God. Was it Saturday, Sunday, Monday? Worship God every day, you know? So this is, that's why they call it the little book of Romans. Where it was written is unknown as to where it was written. Some people believe in Corinth or Antioch. Why it was written, again, Here's the reason why. This is the importance of this letter. And I think it's important for all of us because it's applicable to us today in the church today. Um, the, the, the believers in the area of Galatia were predominantly all Gentiles. They were Gentiles believers. So Paul had, a, Paul had no problem sharing with Gentiles. He had a problem sharing with his own people, the Jews, because they already had deep-seated religion in them. They had Judaism as something. They didn't want to get rid of the customs and all the rituals, uh, but it just birthed out. It just spread like wildfire in the area of Galatia. There was a revival. Churches were being planted. Just imagine, just five churches already in Paul's ministry. So they were predominantly Gentile Christians, but then here comes the Judaizers, uh, the religious guys. They were Christians. They believed in Christ. They finally accepted Jesus as the Messiah. They believed Jesus was the Messiah. They were saved. However, these group, Judaizers, did not want to break away from the cult, the customs. They didn't want to break away from eating matzah. They didn't want to eat pork. They just loved the matzah. And so they didn't want to break away, so what they would do is they would go around and, 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 and go to the, this, the region where Paul shared and just pretty much follow Paul. Now, Judaizer comes from the Greek verb. It means to live according to Jewish customs. Very simple. And so that's what, it, that's what it's the, the Greek verb is, to live according to Jewish customs. So you'll see the word Judaizer mentioned in some of Paul's epistles. And these are the kind of guys he's, he's speaking to. And so the Judaizer would teach these Gentile uh, Christians in the churches of Galatia, in the area of Galatia. And they say, in order for you to be saved, you must follow the laws of Moses. You must follow the laws of Moses, especially circumcision. If you remember, I was studying the book of Acts. Remember, uh, there were, you know, Paul is sharing him and Barnabas, you know, sharing the gospel to Gentiles. They're getting saved. And all of a sudden, he comes these guys. And they say, wait a minute, you, you, you're saved? 
Oh, but you have to, you, you need to have a little surgery, buddy. You know, you, you, you got to be circumcised in order to be saved. And the Gentiles say, oy vey. They don't say that, but they just, oy vey, you know. I, Paul just said, I just got to believe in Jesus Christ. I didn't have to do all these rules and rituals. Paul never told us that. And then Paul really got heated with these very Judaized. There was an argument that the scripture tells us it wasn't just a quiet little argument. It made Paul and Barnabas go down to Jerusalem and speak to the apostles there, uh, you know, Peter and James, the half-brother of Jesus, and say, listen, um, listen, we have a problem here. We're sharing to Gentiles who, listen, we had a problem with this. We can't hold the laws of Moses in the country. Why are we putting this on them? And so it, it Created a problem. So Paul um, calls this kind of teaching, you're going to see it in the epistle of Galatians, um, another gospel. As a matter of fact, he says that they perverted the gospel. And that's some heavy words. You know, they're Christians. They believe in Christ. But they're keeping religion, rules, rituals, and customs, which, again, if we look at that, we'll see that's just a shadow of what Christ is, okay? And so Paul is, is writing his letter to oppose to show them that, listen, you can't be saved by keeping the law. You cannot be saved by keeping the law. And so as we see Paul in Paul's day throughout church history, and this is important for us today, uh, that it's sadly today that there are a lot of different doctrines that are creeping in the church and continues to this day. It'll be tomorrow. It'll continue to the day of Christ. Why? Because people do not study their scriptures. People follow other people. People don't study it for themselves. They go find the bestseller or who has the biggest stadiums if they ever teach theology and doctrine. But, you know, and, and they go to books because this person, you know, study and show thyself approved. Use your responsibility. And so this is Paul's heart, and there's a lot of people who are, who are you know, just changing doctrine and, and just adding to what Christ had already done on the cross. And I just think it's blasphemy, if you, if you ask me, to say, well, what Jesus did on the cross wasn't enough. We need to continue. We need to do something else. And that's what Paul is addressing here. I like what uh, Pastor Chuck would say uh, when it comes about the gospel, the gospel of grace, the good news. And I have to quote him because this, always, this is one of those things uh, we call as a Chuckism that sticks with you, uh, but it's very biblical and it's really, this is his words. He says, if you, this is what he says, quote, if you tell me that God will forgive me of all my sins and account me righteous, if I would simply believe in Jesus Christ, that's good news. But if you tell me that I must follow certain rules and regulation and be obedient to the law and keep the law of God in order to be righteous, that's not good news. And that is so the truth. Because the gospel of Christ is the good news. Any other gospel is a false gospel. Any other gospel, it requires a lot of work. Because if, you're, if salvation is based on works, legalism, rules, and rituals, then that's not good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ alone has done the work of salvation at the cross. We don't need anything else. When he said telestai, he said it is finished. He didn't say, okay, guys, I, I, I took us this far. Now, you, you go from here and finish the work of salvation. No. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus did a complete work of the cross. And to continue to add, to, to add religion to your belief and faith in Jesus Christ is to say that Jesus' work on the cross wasn't complete. It wasn't sufficient. So this is why this is serious stuff. This is not to say, oh, yeah, you believe what you believe in you. And, you know, no. You know, you may just not want to get into arguments. That's good. That's wisdom. You want to talk about the love of Christ. But for your sake, for your salvation, you need to understand this serious doctrine that it is we are saved by faith simply by believing in Jesus Christ, not in anything you've done but what he's done. And that's what Paul is trying to say here. Because here's the thing, when you look at works, rules, and, and religion, and, and, you know, what happens is it's a, triple, it's a triple death, if you ask me. It's a triple failure. Because number one, it's hard work. Religion is hard work. You have to keep up with rules and regulations. And you may just blow one. <laughs> you know, there's 613 commandments. We can't keep the first one. Have no other God before me. 
So it's hard work, but here's the thing. That work also puts you into a bondage. It's bondage. The second thing is that you'll discover that it's impossible in doing all of them and keeping all of them. Isn't it true? It's hard, again, to keep the first one, let alone 10, let alone 613. And thirdly, you'll find that after you did all that work and you tried, you know you blew it, you know you couldn't keep all the commandments, you know it's hard, you know it's bondage, the one thing you're going to find out is not going to save you. It's not going to save you. Because you're saved by what? Grace. You're saved by the love of Christ. He's done the work, not by your works. Jesus says, no one goes to the Father except through me. Not by your works. Not how many times you go to church Sunday. Not how often you pray. Not how often you, you read your Bible. We do those things because of what he's done for us. And that's the fruit of, of your, your life being changed in your relationship with Christ. And so we don't need that. And so this is the reason for Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia. And so some of the Galatian believers in the church have been deceived by the Judaizers. Uh, they have been deceived in believing that adding legalism, you know, that Paul should have shared with you the laws of Moses. Um, he's diluting the gospel. He's watering down the gospel. Uh, you can't be saved that way. You have to, yeah, accept Christ, but you must still follow the laws of Moses. And they were following Paul everywhere he went. Everywhere he went. And this, was, this is more than a problem because... Um, you know, just before we get in uh, into our study of verse by verse here, we'll see the beginning of the letter, with the exception of the, his letter to Titus. Um, this letter, Galatian, always begins with, you know, greetings or whatever. He says, Paul, an apostle. And that's a read. We're going to get to why he says Paul, an apostle. That's very important. That's why the background is very important for us to understand. But he always thanks God. In almost all his epistles and letters, he's, I thank my God. I thank God. I thank God. I thank God, whether for what God's done in his life or what God has done to the recipient of the letter. He always said, I thank God, I God. But here, Paul wants to get straight to the heart of the matter because this is a serious issue. It's poisoning the church. It's bringing cancer. It's bringing religion. It's distorting the gospel. It's taking away everything Jesus has done the very lives that are at stake here. So he gets right straight to the heart of the matter and because the Judaizers are polluting the minds and distorting the work that God has already done. And so let us begin our journey verse by verse with the epistle to the Galatians. In verses 1 and 2, Paul is going to identify himself, his position, and he's going to acknowledge those who are reading this letter. So let's look at verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle... Not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul, identify himself. You know, he begins with Paul uh, because of his conversion to, his, to the Gentiles. Paul had changed his name. What was his name before? It was Saul. Saul. Saul of Tarsus. And when he gave his life to the Lord, he changed his name to Paul. And you know what Paul means? Little one. Little one in Christ. And so he really humbled himself, but he needed to give himself a Gentile name because that was his ministry. We're going to get to that in a little bit. And so Paul, he changes his name after his conversion, but Paul already had a name. Everybody knew who Paul was. Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. You know, if anybody, any of the Pharisees wanted to persecute the church, do anything, let's get Paul. He's the one that's going to do it. Everybody knew Paul before his conversion and even after his conversion. And so he already named, made a name for himself. On his road, road to Damascus, he changed his name from Saul to Paul. And Saul of Tarsus, he was a Pharisee, a persecutor of the Christians. So can you imagine from persecuting the church to building churches? What a ministry. You know, just to say, you know what, I persecuted the church to Christians and, and I put them in jail and, and many of them had them stoned like Stephen. He was behind it. You know, he was holding the garment to those that stoned the first Christian martyr, Stephen, in the book of Acts. Uh, and, and now he's planting churches. He's planting churches. He's on another mission, no longer to persecute the church, but now to build churches. And here, as we see in his letter, his heart to save them from false teaching. And so... He begins with his name for two reasons. Uh, the first reason, you know, he addresses letters. You know, when we, let's put it this way. When we write a letter to one another, what do we do? 
You know, we, we write dear to the person or persons or people we write it to, and then we write our names at the very end, right? So in those days, they couldn't do that. They wrote it in scroll. So in the scroll, you have to identify yourself first, you know, because in order to find out who wrote the scroll, you have to roll it all the way down. And you ever had your kids, you know, when they were babies, roll that toilet paper and your dog, okay, still good. Let's roll it all the way back. It doesn't come out the same. But anyway, that's how it was then. So because it was written in scrolls, they identified themselves first, unless they were writing to their in-laws, they want to mess with them. The IRS, <laughs> roll it down. <laughs> no, just kidding. I have no problem with my in-laws. We have a great relationship. So um, anyway... So, but the second reason, I think this is the main reason, is that Paul identified himself, but you see that he identifies himself with his title, Paul, an apostle. And I tell you the reason. Here's the background. You'll see it throughout the letter. This is why we do an introduction. Paul, um, Paul mentioned his apostle, his titles, because his apostleship, his apostolic credentials were being challenged. It was being challenged. And how so? Well, those Judaizers, that's what they were doing. They would say, well, Paul, he's not really an apostle. That's why he didn't tell you. Well, he's not an apostle. Don't listen to Paul. This is why he didn't tell you. Yeah, you said, yeah, but you still got to get surgery, buddy. You still got to deal with the, with the laws and all. You still have to go through all this. And so they would, because they couldn't attack his gospel and the truth, what do they do? When someone can't attack the truth of, the, of one person, they attack the character. And that's exactly what they do. And a Judaizer accusing Paul of diluting Christianity, making it easier for the Gentiles. And that's what they probably would say. You know, we don't know. I'm just thinking behind the box. You know, I'm just, if I was there, I probably would have, you know, making it into a movie. or say, you know, yeah, Paul, he's just diluting. He just wanted to be nice in you Gentiles. He just wants you to be saved. He just wants to have a name for himself. But he's not really an apostle. And so that's what they would say. Paul is wrong. Don't follow him. He's not teaching you everything. This is what you need to know. These are the laws of Moses. Boom. You're saved, but here's the laws. Boom. Just a big book. Well, in those days, scrolls. You know, read all this and we'll get back. Then now, and now it's bondage. Now it's religion. And so... In addition to preaching another gospel, the Judaizers were attacking Paul. So Paul had to clearly say, listen, Paul, an apostle, an apostle. And, you know, they tried to discredit him. Now, Paul was not the original 12 disciples. If you find the gospels, the disciples were called disciples, disciple, disciple. When you get to the book of Acts, they're called apostles. And because apostle is one that's being sent out. That's the Greek word, apostolos. Apostolos means sent one. One who has been sent. Now, this is important because when you look further into the Greek, you find that it's not just one that's been sent. Anybody could be sent by anyone for anything. But here, when we look at the totality of Scripture, we find the definition of an apostle. And I think it's important for us to know this because you see today that people use the title an apostle. Be careful with that. Be careful with that. And I tell you why. I'll give you some scriptures to, to, to uh, let you know. But the, 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 the title uh, it, here, it, it's just in the Greek. It's not just saying one is sent out, but one who's an appointed representative with an official status. I like this definition in the Greek, um, depending what Greek lexicons and everything you read. But it says, it is one who has been taught directly by Jesus who is invested with authority to speak in his behalf. Now, there is scripture to prove that. There is scripture to prove that. Because again, we see apostola, we'll find that it's used only with this. If you look at the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the disciples are called apostles. Disciples, and then you get to the book of Acts, they're called apostles. And the reference to uh, the disciples as apostles is an extension of Jesus' understanding of himself as one sent out by God. And so the, Juda- the Judaizers knew this. You see, today people use the word loosely apostle, and they may call themselves apostles in some church circles and denominations. And, but even the Judaizers themselves knew that that wasn't the definition. You just can't give yourself that definition, so much so that that's why they were attacking Paul. But you see, Paul has one thing with him, and I'll share that in a little bit. 
You remember the time after Jesus' ascension into heaven, um, uh, just before the day of Pentecost. Jesus was with the disciples. He ascended to heaven. They were looking up, and the angels said, hey, why are you looking up? The same Jesus you saw the way go up is the same way he's coming back. Oh, I can't wait for that, right? It's the same way he's coming back. just want you to know that. But they were waiting in the upper room. And Jesus says, wait there until the Holy Spirit, you know. So before the day of Pentecost, here comes Peter. Didn't wait for the Holy Spirit. This is before the day of Pentecost. Oh, we need someone to fill in for Judas. Judas had betrayed Christ. There's supposed to be 12 of us. There's only 11. We need to fill someone in. So what did they do? Uh, Peter stands up and said, we need to uh, cast lots. Let's cast lots. Forget about the Holy Spirit. Let's just play like little, you know, marbles and, and you, know, you know, something. Let's just cast lots and see where the lots may fall because we have two people that could fill in. But here's what he gives. He gives, the, de- he gives the, the qualification of an apostle, Peter himself, in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, you see it there in your screen, verses 21 to 23. This is what he said. He stood up and said, we need to fill this position. He said, therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time, that the Lord Jesus Christ went in and, am- and out among us, being from, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us. One of these must, here it is, become a witness with us in his resurrection. And then verse 23, and they proposed to Joseph called Barsabas, who was summoned Judas and Matthias. Matthias was the one that the lots fell. Have anybody heard anything about Matthias? No, right? No. I'm reading over and over in the book of Acts. I'm reading all the letters of Paul. He's never mentioned again. This is before the day of Pentecost. This is why it's serious. Even Peter himself, he began very well saying this is the qualification apostle, but we're going to do it man's way. We're going to gamble. Let's just, <laughs> how many, is it double, double snake, what, snake eyes? You know, that's how they pick people. And so we see that that wasn't in my personal opinion. I believe that they were too quick. And my personal opinion was they should have waited for Paul. They should have waited for Paul. That's my personal opinion. It's not doctrine. Don't hold me to it. But anyway, so where does that put Paul? Where does that put Paul now? He wasn't one of these guys. How did Paul become apostle? We heard, we, we read the, the qualification of apostle. But where does that put Paul? Who made Paul an apostle? How did he become an apostle? It happened in Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, remember, on Paul's road to Damascus, he was Saul. And then he, who did he meet? Jesus himself. He saw Jesus, and he became a little bit blind for three days, right? He heard Jesus. He was commissioned by Jesus. And even Luke writes this for us in Acts chapter 9, verse 15. Jesus said of Paul, He is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Did he not do that? Yes. We see that throughout his life. Did he write to these people? Yes, he has. Two-thirds in the New Testament. All the churches birthed out. So we see that Paul is an apostle. Through Jesus Christ himself, he witnessed him. And he was sent by Jesus. So that's the definition of an apostle. Today, again, you have different church groups that use that. But let's read what Paul says. Paul, an apostle, read verse 1 again. Not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul's calling, his apostolic authority did not originate with man. It did not come from man. They didn't cast lots for Paul. Paul didn't need men to cast lots from him. Paul didn't need man's approval. He heard it directly through Jesus Christ. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He called, Jesus called him. He didn't need man's approval. And so now this is, again, very important because uh, you have the churches and denominations that appoint and put people into position in churches. And this is where it's dangerous, very dangerous. They'll get a board together. Let's get a committee, and then they'll get some names of guys or people. Well, you know, people who probably are, who tie the most, you know. People are very successful, prominent people in the community, or the most popular people. That person is an apostle. Well, let's appoint that person. They put their name in the hat. They vote yes, nay, or no, and that's how you get leadership. That's not biblical. That is so unbiblical. 
And this is the reason why when it comes to leadership in our church, it is based on biblical principles, qualifications of deacons, elders, and bishops are in scripture. We use those titles. We use those qualifications. We don't use reverence because the word reverend is not even in the Bible. It's not a biblical term or title. Um, reverend, if you look in the Greek word, it's only mentioned once, only in your King James Version, not the New King James. It's only mentioned once, and reverence means to fear. So people are supposed to fear you. So you see, and this is what we don't, we don't do this. We don't say, oh, listen, who do we think? You know, let's have a meeting. We need to, we need leadership. We need to, well, what about this person? What about that person? That's so not biblical. That is not biblical. And again, I light a, another Chuckism, if I will, if, if, if I may. Chuck said, it is man who appoints, but it is God who anoints. It is man who appoints, but it is God who anoints. And this is exactly when we came up here. It's been like four years since we put someone into leadership here. We had Steve Stoner not too long ago. And uh, we ordained him. We read verses based, based on the qualifications. Um, and he fit those. And that's what we do. We go, we step back, and we see those that are really plugged in, that are serving, that don't care about titles, don't care about anything. And they don't please man, but they please God. And they're faithful in their service. They're already doing the work that they're called. And this is how we know what we're called to do. What am I called to do? Well, what did God put in your heart? When you start working in that area, there you go. It's birthing out. It's flourishing. Exactly what God called you to do. You have a ministry for homeless because that's been in your heart. That's what God heard danger and called you. Nobody put you in that place. And that's a confess. We don't say, hey, listen, um, do you want to be in charge of this? Do you want to do this? You know, we like people to come up to us when it comes to leadership or looking over men and say, listen, I feel of the Lord, you know, that this is what I would like to do. And, you know, hey, by all means, run with it. We'll talk it and see if we can do it. That doesn't mean we, we all come up with ideas because people want to have a big church and so many ministries. And meanwhile, nobody's willing to take care of it. We hardly have people helping out in the children's ministry. So, you know, you know, don't give us, oh, let's do this, let's do this. And if we don't do it, it's because we don't have the resources. It's not, a, first of all, it may, we pray about it, see if it's of the Lord. Second, we don't have the resources, and we don't have the people willing to serve faithfully and take care of it. You can't create a ministry and then, and then dump it on us. Somebody creates another ministry, and then I got to take care of it. Or Pastor John got it, or Joe got it. No, we want people. So what I'm saying is, we see, we step back when it comes to people putting positions. We, we, we step back and we see it, that they're already doing the work of what the Bible describes. We look at the God's grace in their lives. We see, and what we do, what we do is, when we see that, then we do what the scripture says. We lay hands, we consecrate them in that calling. That is what we do. We ordain them. We didn't anoint them. We didn't put that calling in their life. God has done that. We just consecrate them. We confirm it. Yes, this is consistent with your testimony of your life. And this is exactly what you're doing anyway. We're just, hey, you know, you got a blessing. And, and you know, you're part of the ministry. Here you go. That's the way it goes. It's not, okay, let's vote. You know, and then it's man. It's not of God. And so this is why it's important because we need to understand in scriptures, you know, what, the, you know, what they've done here. Uh, in scriptures, we see with Paul. Paul has to make that clear. It wasn't a man. It wasn't through man. So always understand that. Now, when you, you know, every church is different. We're not saying we're the best. We're not saying, you know, someone else is not. They're doing this all wrong. We say, we don't not, we're not knocking down people. They probably don't understand the area of scripture when it comes to this. That's not what we're doing here. We're just letting you know that when you see how we're doing things, you can't say, how come the church that I came from, we did this. So I was raised up in the church and we did that. You know, and we always get people that want us to be their church or the church they came from. We're not like that. We want to be, we want to be a, a, a biblical church. And we, the structure and the church government and the, and the leadership is based on scripture, not man's way. Okay, so this is important. This is why Paul puts this here, and I just want to bring that in a broader uh, view for you here to apply it to today. So he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ 
That's the important. That's where it needs to come from. Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Verse 2, he says, And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. He opens and closes very quickly. Probably a paragraph. Well, they didn't have paragraph, but they wrote letters together. They didn't have spaces in those days. But again, this is unusual in Paul's opening of the letter. Remember, he didn't, there's no thank, I thank God. Not that he doesn't thank God. Oh boy, does he thank the Lord. And here he goes right to the point. He doesn't even mention those who are with him. Usually Paul says, and Timothy, and he'll name someone else. Here he's just going, listen, those who are with me, let's get to the point. I, Paul, an apostle, an apostle not of man, nor from man, and those, you know, I greet you, and those who are with me, that's what he says. Those of my brethren who were most likely would have been Barnabas, because during this time of the letter, when you go to Galatia, it will be Barnabas. But he never, he, he always mentions people, but he wants to get to the point. Now, verses 3 to 5. 3 to 5, you're going to see Paul's uh, very uh, familiar salutation and greeting from Paul. And usually it's a lengthy greeting, but not here. Um, he already wants to get to the point. So he writes in verse 3. Let's look at verse 3. He says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, John, Pastor John shared this a little bit yes, uh, uh, last week, and, and you, we're going to share it again because we see the words again here. It said, grace to you and peace from God. This here, this greeting is a traditional Middle Eastern Greek and Jewish greeting. Mostly Greek than it is Jewish, but it's partially Jewish. I'll tell you why. Well, grace is the Greek word charis. Charis is mentioned 155 times in the New Testament. And what this carry is, is grace. It means unmerited, undeserving, unearned favor, which we got from God. That's what that means. The next word is peace, and the Greek is erini. But it's really coming from the Hebrew word shalom, shalom. So knowing Paul, he's not going to say eris, erinis, or That'll, that's how it was sound in the Greek, charis and irinis, grace and peace, charis and irinis. But Paul, he's, a, he, you know, he's still Jew. And the, the peace that comes with shalom means a lot more than the peace that's in the world. That's why Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace. And somebody will read it and say, what? He's talking about, I, I didn't come here to bring peace, the peace that the world has. The world calls peace. It's not a worldly peace. It's not man's peace. It's God's peace. And that the best definition for that is in the Hebrew, shalom. So he says grace and peace. But here's what's important. You, you'll find this, if you're a fast writer and you're a student and you're taking down notes, you'll see these two together always. They're always together and they're always in this order. Grace and peace is never peace and grace. Grace and peace, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2, Philippians chapter 1, verse 2, Colossians chapter 1, verse 2, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2, and Philemon chapter 3. You're going to see grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace. And it's not so much that it's a traditional Middle Eastern greeting, but there is some fruit to that. And there's some truth to that, and it's a truth that I think you would be blessed with. Because you cannot have, you know, peace. It's never mentioned peace and grace. You cannot have peace unless you understand God's grace. God's grace, God's unmerited favor, God's amazing grace. And we are saved by what? Grace. We don't deserve it. What we do deserve is the wrath of God. But because of Jesus Christ, we are saved. We have grace. You would never have peace. Peace by itself is like what Jesus says. I did not come to bring peace. It could be worldly peace. But if you want a peace from God, a peace, a shalom that comes directly from God, you have to go through grace. You have to go to grace. Because peace by itself is just worldly. It means absolutely nothing. But here's the important thing about peace, saints. I want you to understand this. Peace is not just a word. Peace is in the person of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. This is what Paul writes to the church of Ephesus. For he himself is what? Our peace. Now that's important. Because many, oftentimes as believers in Jesus Christ, we accept Jesus as our Lord and personal Savior. And if he's our peace, why do we live a life as if we're not in peace? 
Don't believe and don't be led to believe that you lack peace or you lost peace or you have no peace. That should not be in the Christian's vocabulary. A Christian who accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and personal Savior, he is your peace. So you can't say, I lost peace. You're saying you lost Christ? No. But see, that just even what we just heard right now, that should be embedded in your heart that whenever you feel you have no peace, who you need to look at? Your peace, Jesus Christ. You see? So this word peace is not just, yeah, peace. No. It's not, again, the worldly peace. We need peace in the Middle East, and we need peace, and you have the peace sign. It's not the worldly peace. It's in the man, Jesus Christ. It's not just the word. And when we have Christ, what the, this is what Paul tells the, writes to the church of Ephesus. He says, he is our peace, but also what he wrote to the church in Philippi. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, what does he say? And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will what? Guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. The peace of God. I don't know if you ever experienced the peace of God. Many times we're birthed into Christianity, we're born again, and we're never told about peace. Saints, this is why we study God's word verse by verse. And we go in depth into the words and what they truly, what they mean according to God, not what the world has defined it. This peace comes from God, and it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. No one can understand the peace in your life. Well, why do you have peace? I have Jesus. But listen, you lost your house. (laughs) I have Jesus. You lost your job. (laughs) I have Jesus. Your family deserted you because of your church stuff. I have Jesus. You've been given a a report from your doctor that you have an illness that could probably, it's incurable. I have a peace. You see, that's where peace comes. And we, we live in a world today there, there is no peace whatsoever. More so now than ever before. We are so divided. And let me tell you, church, we need to live in this area of peace. We need to understand this. We need to apply this more so now than ever. We, the, the world needs Jesus. And they can get Jesus through the church. Jesus left us a commission. Share the gospel. And we need to do that. We need to move on. Grace to you and peace from God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. That's what he's done. He gave himself for our sins that, we, that he might deliver us from the present evil age. And so Paul is giving a quick summary of the good news. He's going to elaborate this a little bit more, but he's giving him a little taste of what he's trying to, giving him a hint. This is the reason for my letter. And so he's, he's going to address this a little more. The good news is that Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again. As a matter of fact, the best definition of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 4. This is the actual scripture for it, for the good news. Paul says, for I deliver to you first, all, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Christ fulfilled the prophecy of the scriptures. That is the good news. That is the gospel. You want to know what the gospel is? Out of one verse in the All New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, that he had died according to the scriptures, and he, bar- he was buried and rose again. This is death, burial, resurrection that would deliver us from what? This present evil age. Oh, we're not living in an evil age right now. Yes, we are. We have so much war going on and division and, you know, people protesting, not protesting, taking out statues and, and you know, it's just really, it's amazing. It's, who's the prince of the earth? Lucifer, Satan himself. So we need, we are going to be delivered through Jesus Christ. This is the hope that we have, that he's going to deliver us from the kingdom of darkness to his kingdom of God. So he willingly gave himself as a ransom, not only for the Galatians, but for you and for me. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 to 6, Paul writes to Timothy, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men, this is now a Calvinistic verse, 
all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all. Again, back to our text, verse 4, at the end of verse 4. He might deliver us from this present age according to the will of our God the Father, to him, to whom be glory forever and ever. And it is the will of God that all will be saved. This is the will of God for all to be saved. I'm not going to get into the Calvinistic, Arministic, you know, theology, anything like that. But listen, according to my scripture, what it tells me, that is the will of God that every man would come and to be saved. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 Peter writes this, the Lord is not slacking concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering to- towards us, not willing that any should perish, any, none at all, but that all should come to repentance. Not the chosen few, the elected few, the special elite people. No, all people. And so saints, this is the, this is the heart of God. This is the heart of God that, that we all to be saved, but to hold on to this good news. This is the truth. Don't add to it. People like to add things to make it better because, yes, the simplicity of the gospel is just believing. That's it. Just believe. And some people can't fathom that. It's like, no, wait a minute. You can't just say you're saved by just believing. Yes, that's according to scriptures. No, we got to do something. There's got to be something. Yeah, you have a free will. Choose Jesus Christ. No, 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 no. We got to have religion. We got to have a church. We got to have, we got to you know, face the east and pray three times a day. We got to pray three hours a day and read two chapters. There's got to be, we got to dress a certain way. No, it is finished. Tell us die. The work of salvation is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Anything you do is because of what he's done for you. And what he tells us to do, the great commission, share the gospel through all the world, teaching them, baptizing them, discipling them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let us now, we just have a few minutes. Let us now prepare our hearts as the ushers will come, get ready, and the worship team will come up and lead us into a, a song. As the song is being played, this is a memorial service. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Let us put aside the world. Let us put aside the rest of the day, the plans. Let us put aside our worries and concerns. Let us remember Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection.